Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelle. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm... Lindsay. Good job. Nailed it. Oh, uh, every time. A couple quick announcements again this week, and then right into the stories. Okay. Uh, hoping that our first ever Wet Hot Bad Magic Summer Camp was a smashing success. I'm glad that we're recording this episode ahead of time because I feel like I might have the hangover that lasts for a century after a camp. <laughs> well, and then the next episode we do will still be recorded before. So it's going to be uh, two weeks from this episode where we'll either... A little buffer, just yeah, in case l- like one of us falls down, gets a concussion, <laughs> breaks an arm, you get it. Uh, once we've experienced it, we'll be sure to let you know our thoughts about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right now I'm just kind of nervous in a good way, and I know you are uh, deep into the planning. Deep in it. A uh, little different merch in the Bad Magic store this week, a new GTFO doormat requested by a handful of listeners. I'm pretty stoked about this. This uh, uh, one we'll definitely want pictures of, so please be the weird person that no one wants to talk to and grab yourself a new STD doormat at badmagicmerch.com, right? And then mm-hmm. post that pic, tag at Scared to Death Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Oh my God, I don't know if this is allowed, but if you have like a ring doorbell or anything that captures... People's reactions? People being like, oh. Huh, what? Well, actually, you could just put an emoji over their face and then post it, so that would be <laughs> very funny. I am here for it. <laughs> uh, and then you have, before our previous use a quick charitable announcement charity okay so after we leave summer camp we'll be donating fifteen thousand four hundred dollars to camp easton uh, the boy scout camp here in Coeur d'Alene that's hosting our summer camp and you know just happy to be able to give back to this organization it's yeah. a cool group of people out there running it the guy that lives on site sean he is awesome he's been wonderfully helpful and has showed me quite a few projects that need a little attention so it's really fun to be able to give yeah. to them and then of the amount of money from this month, we are also putting $2,000 into the soon-to-be-announced uh, scholarship, and we'll be talking about that in January. So just hold your horses. We're almost there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really exciting. It's a really cool project. Sometimes I actually forget about all the things that we're doing. I, 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 get, I don't. I know, because I, I you are overseeing uh, them Everything. in a different way. But I can just get deep into story w- world yeah. and forget like, oh, yeah, we have these other things happening. Oh, so many things, my friend. <laughs> if you guys want a laundry list, I could give it to you. <laughs> uh, what kind of horror are you bringing for us this week? Well, this week, I similar to last week, I have mm-hmm. a story about dreams, but th- this is a different dream sequence. Uh, yeah. Premonition dreams. Okay. So that's pretty fun. And then um, I'm really, really, really into our second story. My second story. Yeah. Uh, a story that takes place alone in a cabin in the winter. And it Ooh, is. Nice. I love the setting. I felt like I was in a movie. I've read this multiple times. I'm very into it. Okay, cool. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Um, I have my normal two. Um, one I find super creepy. Uh, the other one, um, more interesting. Than terrifying, but just, yeah, just... Uh, more it, intriguing. More intriguing. Uh, there we go. Uh, first story is about South Korea's The Elevator Game. Is this oh, m- I think I know this. Oh, really? Is this nothing more than an urban legend, or could the modern encounter story I'll be sharing possibly be true? Could performing this elevator-based ritual somehow allow you to enter what sounds like hell? 
The next story I have is the legend of the Curse of Caudario. Could a Venetian mansion built in the late 15th century actually be cursed or at least extremely haunted? Not so much as a, as a chilling narrative, that one, as it is a summary of what seems to uh, have been a very high percentage of misfortune. Oh, okay. Befalling those who have owned or have stayed too long in this place. Uh, plenty of time to settle in for this first one, as I set up the lore before telling the supposed encounter. I got these super great socks. Okay, so you guys have been sending in Layla's, which we will open. We will put on display. No, that's but like, so nice. we open that. We open the mail. We collect every week, but we open it once a month so we can photograph it and track it and all of that. But today I came in and I was squeezing all the bags <laughs> trying to find a pair of socks. You can feel, feel Layla's. So many Layla's. That's so, so nice. I'm so it's excited. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous that anyone sends anything to us. I know. I, I'll never get over that. I know. It is really cool. Huh? Yeah, it's very nice. I know. Um, unnecessary, but we're grateful. These socks say super fucking awesome. From our super fucking awesome fan, Rachel Beresford. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> These are good ones. <laughs> Those are really cool. They're really cute. Thank you. Okay, you ready to begin? Let's do it. Originating in South Korea, the elevator game is a ritual game said to give lucky players or very unlucky ones uh, access to another world. No one seemed to really take it seriously according to posts online until after its popularity and sinister aura was boosted greatly due to the mysterious death of Elisa Lam. I covered her disappearance on Time Suck several years ago, episode 29. That's where I recognize it from. Oh, you heard about it associated with that? Yes. Uh, she was found dead in the water tank of the Cecil Hotel in downtown LA. Such a creepy hotel. So creepy. After being reported missing for about a month. Later on, video footage went viral of her acting very strangely on the elevator directly before she disappeared. Hiding in the elevator, uh, talking to no one who could be seen, uh, walking in and out of the elevator, seemingly looking for someone or something making strange but also intentional-looking movements that could be interpreted as carrying out some kind of ritual. All highly unusual. It also looked in moments like she was playing a game with someone who couldn't be seen. Various people online began posting all sorts of wild theories about what really happened to her shortly after Elisa's body was found. Some people were convinced that she died playing the elevator game. By 2020, the most recent year, I could find a source that referenced stats. Over 30,000 people a month worldwide were searching for how to play this game. Hopefully, if there's anything to it, the number is a lot less today. If you want to play the elevator game, understanding that it might be uh, very, very dangerous, here are the steps. After all, we are here to get scared, right? Uh, first, you have to find a building with obviously an elevator, also at least 10 floors. And to make sure you don't have this ritual interrupted, it's best to uh, do it in the middle of the night, find a building that really isn't being used much. Uh, you can only play this game alone. No one else can be on the elevator with you. Uh, no one else, friend or stranger, can join you in the elevator th throughout any point during this process. If they do, you have to start over. Once you've found this quiet elevator, enter it on the first floor. Then press the button to get to the fourth floor. Do not get out when the door is open. Let the doors open and close. Then take the elevator back down to the second floor. Then up to the sixth, down to the second, up to the tenth, in that order. Do not get out on any of these floors. It could be dangerous to disrupt the ritual. Now press the button for the fifth floor. There, if you hope to complete the ritual and make it to the other world, a young woman will enter the elevator with you. Just her and no one else. Do not speak or even look at this woman, even though she may look familiar. She is not anyone you know or someone you want to know. Now press the button for the first floor. If the elevator starts to head up and then goes to the 10th floor instead, the game has progressed. If you do get taken to the first floor, the game is over. Exit the moment the doors open. Do not speak or look back at the woman. She will stay in the elevator, and you should never see her again. If the elevator takes you up to the 10th floor, you can choose to get off or stay. If you choose to stay, 
the game is again over. Hit any of the other buttons, get off the elevator, never look back. Also, don't ever try and play this game again. You had your opportunity to visit the other world. You made your choice to refuse it. If, on the other hand, you do choose to get off, the woman will likely ask you a question or call your name. Do not answer. Step off the elevator. Let the doors shut behind you. The woman should remain in the elevator. You only needed her to transport you. Once the door is shut, you will, at first, be the only one in the area around you. It is now time to explore. You've reached the other world. Just be careful. And also, if you ever want to see this world again, don't forget the uh, steps necessary to return here. Four, then two, then six, then two, then ten, then five. You must return to the exact elevator you used before. Press the same order of buttons, finishing at the fifth floor. Once you make it to the fifth floor, press the button for the first floor. This will cause the elevator to go back to the 10th floor. You don't want to make it there. Once the elevator starts to move, press any other button to stop from uh, opening on the 10th floor and then press the button for the first floor again. Once you've made it back down, before you step out of the elevator, make sure everything around you is normal. If something doesn't feel right, if the building looks different, or especially if you suddenly notice a crowd of people waiting for you, people who make the hair in the back of your neck stand up, Stay on the elevator. Repeat the exit ritual as many times as you need to until things feel normal on the first floor again. Then get the hell away from that elevator. Count yourself among the few who have played, saw the other other world, and were able to return to their lives. So how does this uh, sequence of numbers supposedly open up some sort of portal to a mysterious other place? Some think this numerical sequence, long, long ago before the advent of elevators, was used to summon other spirits into the human world. And that in some form of numerology, the numbers translate to, take me to a world elsewhere. So who is the woman? She's supposedly just a spirit whose purpose is to transport souls between our world and this other world. To me, she feels similar to Charon from Greek mythology, transporting souls of the freshly deceased to Hades across the river Styx. Others say she is a spirit that will try to bribe you into going with her to a third world, a place far worse than the other world uh, that you're actually trying to enter. This all sounds pretty crazy, right? What is in this supposed other world? Accounts vary. The following story presents an account posted by someone who never identify themselves by name. From their story, they seem to have certainly accessed something. Time now for the tale of the elevator game. Hi, you don't know me and I don't know you, but if you're reading this, there's a good chance you're looking up the elevator game. I'm here to tell you to never play it. I was once a skeptic, someone who thought these games were just for shits and giggles, just urban legends, creepypastas, modern folklore. After all, how could an elevator take you to a different world? An elevator? I mean, give me a break, right? Elevators seem so mundane and modern. What could they possibly have to do with any kind of ritual based on ancient numerology? I've taken countless elevators in hotels, friends' apartment buildings, airports, mall parking garages, etc., etc., I took the same elevator to work every morning to the top floor of my building and took it down the same day for years prior to playing this game. Said hi to the building manager on my way up and on my way back down. Seemed like the most boring thing in the world. Now I wish I could return to those boring days. So why did I ever play this horrible, silly sounding game? It started when I left behind my cell phone at work. I was about to get on the subway when I realized I didn't have it. Having already stayed late to finish up some spreadsheets, I didn't want to go back inside, but I needed my phone. Back in the lobby, I waved to Angela, the building manager. Tomorrow already? She said, grinning. I shook my head. Just forgot my phone. I'll be down in a second. Take your time, she said. The office on floor seven is having an open house tonight. I'll be here for the next couple of hours. 
I nodded and gave her a thumbs up. I really liked Angela. In fact, maybe more than liked. She and I had a lot of the same interests. I started to realize that one day when I noticed she was wearing a cool Dungeons & Dragons t-shirt under her blazer. Then I started to wear my graphic tees to work, and before I knew it, we were recommending novels and movies, a lot of fantasy, horror, stuff like that. She was the one who told me about the elevator game, in fact. I'd gotten on the elevator with her one day, and as we were talking about a new show we'd both seen, I mistakenly pressed the button for the wrong floor and had to double back. You trying to do some kind of ritual? She asked. And uh, when I asked what she meant, she explained the elevator game to me. We used to have teenagers come and try to play it here, she told me. Sometimes if things were slow, I'd let them. It was funny to watch them come down all white-faced and shaky. One kid even peed his pants. At the time, I'd laughed. But then going back up to my office this day, I thought about the elevator game again. I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but part of me thought that if I did play it, maybe spooked myself or got a silly story out of it, or even if nothing happened, but at least I did it, I could offer to tell Angela about it over drinks. I just wanted to come up with some reason to ask her out. I should have just asked her. I didn't need some reason. Once in my office, I looked up the rules, and I laughed again. How are people supposed to remember this order? Probably they confused themselves or gave the elevator so many commands that it didn't know which to follow and then got out on some floor they'd never seen before and convinced themselves they were in some other world. It all seemed again so silly. And now I was giving it a try. As soon as I got on the elevator again, though, I had a hard time remembering. Was it fourth floor? Second floor? Sixth floor? Second floor? Then fifth floor? Or second floor? Fourth floor? Sixth floor? Second floor? Then tenth floor? Being an idiot, I think I messed it up on the first try. I pressed the button for the first floor in an attempt to start again, and as the elevator opened, Angela peered up at me. Got your phone? Yeah, I said, but actually I forgot my keys, so... Been a long week already, I guess, Angela said, and it's only Wednesday. Maybe need a vacation. Yeah, maybe so, I said. Got back on the elevator. I got into the elevator again and quickly went through the entire sequence. I think I got it right this time, with the fifth floor being heading to... uh, Before heading to the tenth. And finally, I pressed the button for the first floor. And then, disappointingly, uh, but also what did I really expect, the elevator did not ascend to the 10th floor. It just started descending, as a normal elevator would. Oh, and no creepy woman had gotten in on the 5th floor either. I got off on the 1st floor, thinking about what I'd say to Angela for literally getting off on the 1st floor for the 3rd time now in one evening. But Angela wasn't there. I looked up at the security desk and froze. There was a man sitting where she should have been sitting. Nobody I recognized. And he wasn't acting like a building manager or even like one of the security guards who sat there when Angela wasn't. He wasn't working on anything, or even at least looking attentive. He was just slack-jawed, staring off into space. Uh, did Angela leave? I asked. He slowly turned to me, like weirdly slowly, and swiveled his head from side to side. No? Then where was she? What the hell did that mean? Did she leave? I asked again, my heart starting to beat a little faster. I'd literally never seen this guy before in my life, and I'd worked this place for seven years at this point. He slowly shook his head again, and this time I noticed that his mouth moved, as if he were speaking, or trying to speak, but no sound came out. This guy's crazy, I now told myself. Something's wrong with him. I wondered if he had just wandered in, and rather than get into an altercation, Angela had instead left to find security. Now I heard out of the building and out onto a street I didn't recognize. Also, when I left work just a couple of minutes ago, it had been light outside, bright summer's evening. Now it was pitch black. At first, I also didn't see the train stop across the street. Then when I did see it, it didn't look right. Instead of stairs leading up to the platform, there was just a hole in the ground with a sign in front, written in a language I couldn't read. I was willing to bet that it wasn't a language any human could read. My stomach sank. I started to panic. Oh my God, I wondered. Could I actually be in the other world? 
I remembered suddenly that the only place, only way to get out of this place, this place that could not be real, yet here I was, was to repeat the ritual. But what about that damn woman? Where was she? How did I get here without properly doing the ritual in the first place? Or did I? It all felt so jumbled up and confusing now. I hope that somehow my brain was just playing tricks on me because I've been led to think that I'd be seeing some weird stuff. Maybe I'd accidentally gotten in the wrong elevator. It let me out in some weird part of the building I'd never seen before. And then I walked out into the wrong street and I knew these rationalizations made even less sense than the other world. I just didn't want to believe that what was happening was somehow actually happening. I was terrified. And I'd only begun to be afraid compared to what I was about to experience. I walked into the building again and stopped in my tracks. There was now another person sitting behind the desk. Not Angela, and not the guy from before. In fact, whoever this person was, they didn't even really look like a person. It looked like some prehistoric version of a person, not fully formed is the only way I can describe it. Vague around the edges, with skin that looked like a burn victim's. Clothes that didn't make sense. Not a shirt and pants, but garments with weird holes in them for limbs that didn't seem to exist. At least I didn't see those limbs. I tore my eyes away and walked straight towards and then into the elevator. As I did, I could feel that thing smiling at me. I followed the same steps I had before. This time, right before I could press the button for the first floor, the elevator came to a stop on the fifth floor. And now Angela got on. I didn't look up to see her face. The game had said not to look at anyone, but I could tell from her Doc Martens and the shape of her legs that it was her. Please let this not be real, I begged to no one in particular, to the universe in general inside my mind. Please let this be a stroke or something, anything other than the elevator game. What's wrong? Angela's voice said. Do not acknowledge her, I commanded to myself. Do not speak to her under any circumstances. Aren't you going to press the button for the next floor, she asked. And then she added my name. How did she know my name? Hesitantly, I reached out and pressed the button for the first floor. The elevator dropped down steadily until it reached the bottom floor, and then Angela, or whatever that thing was, got out. Now I noticed that her shoes were making the wrong sound. Instead of the muffled sound of her Doc Martens, her footsteps clicked, like she was wearing heels. What the fuck? Have a nice day, she said in a voice that now sounded like a low hiss, that sounded like a threat. Instinctively, I said, you too. Shit, I wasn't supposed to talk to her. I wasn't even supposed to acknowledge her presence. I'd fucked up again. Suddenly, the elevator threw me back with a lurch when I tried to get out, and it started climbing. I watched the numbers tick up seven, eight, nine. Finally, it clicked to ten and stopped. Cautiously, I peered into the hallway when the doors opened. I'd been to the 10th floor before, but not to this 10th floor. It was emptier, kind of. It's hard to explain. The same things were there, but it felt like no one had been there in years. Shit, I thought. What is the next step now? How do I get out of this? Grabbing my phone, I went to look for the list of steps online, but my phone was dead. Completely dead, even though it had been charging all day. Dimly, the lights in the hallway now began to flicker, and I heard it again. Click, 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 click. The sound of those heels on the hallway floor. No, not heels, I thought. It sounded more like bone, and it was getting louder. I spun around to see what it was and immediately wished I hadn't. In between the flashes of light, I now caught glimpses of something. Whatever I saw had an, ab had an abnormally long face, its flesh rotting away with sunken holes where the eyes should have been, and a wide, gaping mouth, as if its jaw had been broken, and its body. Long and covered in rotting flesh, just like its face, with four extremely long arms attached to where legs should have been, its movement was like that of a spider. It rocked its head from side to side like a baby's rattle, as empty sockets stared back at me, its gaping mouth stretching upwards at the corners, almost as if it was trying to mimic a smile. I ran as fast as I could, making a break from where I knew the stairs were. I wrenched open the door and ran down, hearing the thudding behind me, slowly growing fainter. After I'd climbed down three staircases, I looked at the doorway. It was marked 10. How was that possible? Was every floor the 10th floor now? 
Was I doomed to wander around these halls forever, being hunted down by whatever that thing was? I decided to change course and hunker down in an empty office and wait until morning, or whatever passed for morning in this world. I found an unlocked door after a few failed tries with locked ones and eased it open. Bang! Something shattered beside my head and I realized it was a decorative plate. It had smashed against the wall. Get away from me! Get away from me! A voice cried. Get away! As I looked closer, I made out a huddled form on the floor, wearing soiled clothes. Soiled but human clothes. The face that peered out at me was a young and acne-written face with a mop of blonde hair. My mind went back to the teenagers that Angela had told me about, the ones who tried to play the elevator game before. Had one of them become stuck here? It's okay, I said quietly. I I'm real. I, I, I mean, I'm from the other place, not this one. I'm stuck here like you. How do I know you're telling the truth? The kid looked at me, clearly suspicious. I saw that he had fashioned some kind of weapon out of some dentist equipment inside the office and that the end of it was covered in something dark, like blood, but black. This place plays tricks on you, he continued. Nothing's like it should be. It's all different. The layout, everything's different. He was now near tears. My dad works here, or, or, or used to. I, I don't know how long it's been out there. He might be dead now. You can trust me, I told him. Maybe we can make it out together. He shook his head violently. And no, it says we have to go one at a time. Something bad might happen if we try to reverse it at the same time. But you said yourself that it plays tricks on you, I pointed out. Maybe part of that is that it can play, uh, it can't trick two people as easily. This ritual, game, whatever, I don't think it even played out by the supposed rules. I never saw a lady before I ended up here. It's, it's not playing by our rules, why should we play by its rules? That night, or however long it was, the kid and I made a plan. He refused to tell me his name, saying that once the place knew your name, it could use it against you. I thought with dismay about how Angela, or the thing that looked like Angela, called me by my name. But I didn't tell the kid that. I didn't want him to worry anymore. After a couple of hours, maybe hours, the thumping started up again. It's time, the kid said. It's now or never. Leaving the office, we broke out into a sprint, out of the room and down the corridor, back around the corner, up the flight of steps, ascending upwards. Now it sounded like the heavy thuds were coming for, from behind us, but neither one of us looked. This way, the kid said, suddenly turning the corner, and there it was, the elevator. We clambered on, and the kid recited, four, two, six, two, ten, five, one, then pressed the fourth button. But the elevator wouldn't move. And then I heard a shriek in the distance. Both of our heads snapped to look down the long, impossibly long corridor. The thing was there. Run! The kid yelled, stepping off the elevator. But before I could follow, the elevator door shuttered shut. As the elevator dropped down, I heard a final scream, that kid's scream. I continued with the ritual to return back, the numbers etched into my brain. As the elevator stopped at the first floor, I braced myself and stepped out. My stomach sank when I saw it was dark outside. Hey! I spun around and saw Angela, fiddling with her keys, locking up her desk for the night. The real Angela. You lost it there? It's almost 11. I was waiting after the open house, but she trailed off, probably looking at my horrified expression. I was in the normal world again, but I also knew that nothing would ever be normal again, and that I'd left that kid to die. Just tired, I mumbled. See you tomorrow. But I wouldn't see her the next day. I've never seen her since. I'd never go back to that building again. How could I ever ride that elevator now, or even risk being in the same building with what I'd seen? I'm still haunted by the sound of that last scream. It sounded so hopeless, so lost. I often wonder how long had he been living in the other place? How long would I have been trapped there if I hadn't taken, if he hadn't taken the fall for me? And if that thing ever finds a way out, will it try and find me? Or if that kid, if that thing somehow didn't kill him, will he try and find me if he ever finds a way out? To make me pay for what the elevator game did to him. That's really, really creepy. Mm-hmm. Two, four, six, eight, ten. <laughs> I, was, I, I love that, like, when you were explaining the game, I was over here, like, jotting it down. Like, okay, first I do this, <laughs> then I do that. Okay, okay, what are the numbers? But I was glad that I had them because then as you were telling the story, I was able to know when the storyteller was getting it right or when they were getting yeah. it wrong. Yeah. They got it wrong a lot. 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then I wonder, what did the thing like mess with his mind? Like if uh, he got it right somehow, but it made him think he got it wrong to like mm. confuse him and uh, keep him in there. Yeah, I don't know. And was that kid even real? That other kid that he saw? Right. Or is that a trick to try and get you to stay? Yeah. And then hear the scream and then go after the scream to try and help the hurt person. Right. Uh, I have a couple pictures. I mean, there's nothing with the actual story, of course, the encounter story. But this first one is a promotional poster image for the elevator game. It's an upcoming horror film that was just filmed in Canada, like mm. as in the last few weeks, uh, based on the urban legend I just went over before the encounter tale. Okay. So who knows if it'll be good or not, but they are making a movie about it. About Elisa Lam? Then, uh, no, no, no. Just, but just a, just a random, you know, uh, story, kind of like the modern encounter based in this elevator game ritual. I see. We'll see if it's going to be theaters, straight to streaming. Don't know. Whatevs. Uh, next one, a creepy illustration that accompanies several web you? articles on the elevator game. Wow. Like what, what you might see when you pop out in the other world. Oh, God. And then this last one, creepy illustration of the woman you're not supposed to talk to, the one who joins you on the fifth floor. Oh, that was good. I looked quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, she's gone. Whew. How uncomfortable would that be? I would not be able to do that. No way. Not be able to actually do the ritual? No way. Just, yeah, like, oh, I know God. it's funny, oh, those God. things, oh, I would think, like, get out of here. There's absolutely no way. But then if a lady got onto the fifth floor, I would be so fucking scared. <laughs> like, I would need to have, like, the, oh, the ritual God. tattooed on my arm or something. To not mess it up? To not, like, permanent Sharpie, just like, okay, let's see, what are my options? We go one, four, two, six, two. 10, 5, have the woman. Like, I would need all... Yeah, yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's too much. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I would need, like, a laminated sheet of paper that I take with me. <laughs> like, and yeah, and what what if you actually did that? Like, you follow the ritual, and then some random lady actually gets oh on, God. on the fifth floor, and then you press the uh, button for 1 to go down to the first floor, but then it goes up to 10 instead. I would lose my mind. Yeah, if it goes to 10... Don't open on 10. I think you don't get out. I think you you repeat it again. Going down. Oh, 4, yeah. I can't 2, remember 6, 2, 10, 5, I just, 1. I, I just remember the last the last part is you're supposed to set it for 1, but instead of going down to 1, once the lady's on the elevator, mm -hmm. if it goes up, it'll go up to 10. And then if you get out on that floor, that's when you're in the other world according to the ritual. Well, I was talking about getting out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I, I was just talking about, yeah, like like getting there. <laughs> like that would, oh, my God. But if it, but if at the end, if you're trying to get out, yeah, then it's that. and then it opens up back on 10, you don't get out and you right. keep, can you imagine just having to repeat this series of numbers over and over and over? That is a, a lesson in insanity because <laughs> right. you're just going over and over and over, hoping to God that it finally opens on one. Mm -hmm. Blah. What, a, what, a, what an amazing moment. Uh, so many different emotions. If you're, you know, doing this, being like, get out of here. Okay, like me, I'm doing it skeptical. Like, come on. But then a lady gets on and then and then all of a sudden you try and get like, okay, I'm just not going to talk to her just to be safe. But I'm going to assume that she's just a regular lady. This is a coincidence. And then I try to go down, but then it goes up instead mm -hmm. and then it opens the doors and nothing looks like it's supposed to up there. Oh boy. This weird mixture of emotions of terrified, but also simultaneously like, holy shit, this stuff is real. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like what else could be real? I imagine it would be a mixture of so many things. Like if I'm this person and this and this story uh, actually happened and I was a skeptic before, I am such a different person when I go home that night. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, everything seems possible now. Yeah. Also, this could be such a cool horror attraction. Like if you kind of like, a, well, yeah, it would be a haunted house of right. sorts and you pay 
and you do the ritual and sometimes you know how like it says in the beginning Uh of the setup like some people it works for and some people get out and they're like oh it's not real and they're like be grateful that you attempted to play and it let you go yeah that would be like if if and if there was no sequence that you could follow of like okay you you and a group of 10 friends all go to this attraction you pay (laughs) your dollars to go and then you know you don't know if it's gonna be the first person or the 10th person that it clicks over and now it becomes like a terrible haunted house that you're in by yourself and you have to stay calm and repeat the pattern. This is like some weird FBI covert (laughs) operation training thing of like, okay, can you get out? Can you stay cool under pressure? I keep thinking about, I have to look up the exact name because of the elevator, the Saturday Night Live sketch. I think it's like what, David Pumpkins? David David S. Pumpkins. Okay, that's what I was thinking it was. Uh, If you haven't seen that, anyone listening, just just, uh, look it up on YouTube. It's a Tom Hanks <laughs> SNL sketch from, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. Uh, probably longer at this point. But it's just, oh, it's so ridiculous. Like these, this couple, you know, going up the, I think it's called like the Tower of Terror. Uh-huh. And it'll be like standard kind of horror haunted place tropes of like someone with a chainsaw. And, just, and then everyone's <laughs> just these two ghost-ish looking dancers <laughs> doing a weird dance. And then Tom uh, Hanks shows up in a weird like... I'm David S. Pumpkin. Yeah, like a tie and see what the funny hair. I'm David Pumpkin. And he starts off, he's just David Pumpkins or Pumpkin. And then later they add the S. And it's just, uh, it's hard that to explain. So funny. But it's, God, it's funny. So funny. Uh, me, yeah, we and the uh, and the kids used to watch it all the time. Yep, the kids love that one. Okay. Um, are you uh, ready to leave the elevator game behind and learn uh, a little possibly haunted Venetian history? Yeah, I'm so glad that we're not rich enough to have an elevator in our house. <laughs> and <laughs> 10 floors. Ten floors, elevator. I'm glad. Be, honestly, at this point, if if our studio required me to get into an elevator, I would be taking the stairs. <laughs> it's just like a little too creepy. Before we head to the city of canals, we need to take a quick in between story sponsor break. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, creeps and peepers. We jump right into this short summary now. You ready? I'm ready, Freddie. Time now for the tale of the house that kills. There's a house in Venice known as the house that kills. Palazzo Dario, or Cadario, is more than 500 years old, was the subject of a painting by iconic French Impressionist Claude Monet in 1908, and has already long been haunted by a deadly, has allegedly long been haunted by a deadly curse. The Grand Mansion sits right on the Grand Canal of Venice, next to other beautiful mansions and historical landmarks. According to local legend, anyone who has ever owned Cadario or stayed in the house for more than just 20 days has either died of anything other than natural causes, committed a homicide, or become financially destitute. That's crazy. Many locals have feared the house so much over the years that superstitious fishermen uh, won't even cast their nets near Cadario today. Some residents of Venice still go out of their way to avoid walking near it or boating past it. Cadario was constructed way back in 1479 by Venetian aristocrat Giovanni, Giovanni Dario. Dario was a businessman, a notary for the Duke, and earned the title Savior of the Homeland when he negotiated with the Turks for uh, Venetian continued independence in 1479. Uh, In the 15th century, Venice had strong ties with Constantinople. In 1453, after the conquest of Sultan Mohammed II, Constantinople was ruled by the Ottomans and and changed its name to Istanbul. The relations between Venice and the Ottoman Empire, which now controlled present-day Turkey, soured. The Senate sent Giovanni Dario to... uh, established a peace agreement, and the skilled diplomat did return home with the peace treaty and favorable economic arrangements. 
He was given his title Savior of the Homeland, granted noble status, and given a large financial reward. And Dario decided to use a significant chunk of this good fortune to construct himself a palace. He had famous architect Pietro Lombardo draw up the plans. When Dario died in 1494, his son-in-law, Vincenzo Barbaro, or uh, Barbaro, Barbaro, yeah, uh, Marietta's husband, inherited the house. And the house would stay in the Barbaro family incredibly all the way until the early 19th century. Tragically, Vincenzo was stabbed to death over a financial deal gone wrong soon after he and his family moved in. Marietta then died by suicide in the Grand Canal shortly after her husband's death. To further add to this family's tragedy, their son, Vincenzo Giancomo, uh, was later murdered by assassins in Crete. Their other son, Gasparo, died unexpectedly during his youth. And supposedly numerous other unfortunate deaths befell the family for centuries. The details of most of them have been lost to history. In 1800, the Barbaros family sold the house to Arbit Abdul, an Armenian businessman who went bankrupt shortly after purchasing it, and then sold it to Radon Brown, an English historian, for just 480 pounds in 1838. Four years later, Brown also fell into financial ruin. Uh, then he also died by suicide along with his lover on August 25th, 1883. Ownership of Caudario then fell to a Hungarian count, followed by an Irish businessman. After World War I, American millionaire Charles Briggs purchased Caudario. Not long after, he fled to Mexico, where his partner died of suicide. In 1963, famous Italian opera singer Mario Del Monaco began, ne began negotiations to purchase Caudario. On his way to closing the deal and signing the papers, he was involved in a serious car accident where he broke his ribs and pelvis and his kidneys were seriously damaged. He survived but chose not to go through with the purchase. Allegedly now worried about the curse, he shouted to his secretary from the ambulance, Destroy those papers! In 1968, the Count of Turin, Filippo Giordano, uh, oh, Giordano de Lanze, purchased Caudario. Two years later, the Count was murdered by his lover, Croatian sailor Raul Blasic, with a silver vase from inside the mansion. Blasic fled Italy, later died a violent death in London. Christopher Lambert, uh, manager of the iconic English rock band The Who, was the next owner of Caudario. Lambert reportedly loved the sad and dark atmosphere of Caudario, but didn't believe in any actual curse. Once he moved in, though, his struggles with substance abuse quickly worsened to the point where he could no longer work. He struggled financially, was arrested for heroin possession, supposedly then told his friends he'd started sleeping on the other side of the canal to escape the ghosts he claimed haunted the place. A few years after buying the home, at the age of only 45, Lambert died of a cerebral hemorrhage after falling down a flight of stairs. In 1978, businessman Fabrizio Ferrari purchased the house and moved in with his sister Nicoletta. Soon after, he lost all his assets, then Nicoletta died in a suspicious car accident without any witnesses. Financier Raul Gardini now purchased the home and planned to gift it to his daughter, but he'd never be able to, as he was soon plagued by a series of serious financial struggles and personal scandals. He died of suicide in 1993. American film director and actor Woody, Woody Allen considered purchasing Caudario, but may have changed his mind after reading about all the horrible events connected to the house. As recently as 2002, The Who's original bass player, John Entwistle, suffered a heart attack in Las Vegas just a week after he rented Caudario. Could this place actually be cursed? And if so, who cursed it? The curse of Caudario has mysterious origins. No one knows where it came from or why. Some Venetian locals believe that the curse comes from the house's location, allegedly built on a Knights Templar cemetery. Another theory is that there is no true curse, but that it's extremely haunted by malevolent entities. Still others think the building itself is somehow sentient and uses the energy of those who dare stay inside its walls to accomplish evil goals. 
It's possible that some unknown evil took place centuries ago and that the evil brought forth something onto the property that still lingers there today. Some, uh, some also believe that Pietro Lombardo, the architect who built it, did something to curse it. But why would he want to curse future owners of the house? That's unknown. The current owner of Cadario is an unknown American, maybe. Or maybe they're now dead or in ruins. And the home has passed yet again to someone who it sure seems may have increased the odds of tragedy showing up in their life. I mean, would you consider... Okay, just pretend money's no object. Would right. you consider buying this house? Not when I knew that lore. Because, like, there's so many other cool places. Like, if I really want to live in Venice, I'm like, I don't need this place. Right. Uh, This much, I mean, yes, it's old, so there's going to be more trash. But it's even for an old place, it seems like a lot of things have happened here. A lot of suicides, specifically. I know, I know. Well, and I wonder if, like, I mean, could it be coincidence? that just The people that are buying it are... I'm so sorry, sudden burp. Uh, The people that are purchasing it are... Uh, people who are out to defy the odds, but also come to the table with other extenuating circumstances. Like all know. of these people, all of these people are very wealthy, right? Yeah, and and have access to a wide a wide variety of things, whether it's drugs or making more money, backdoor deals. Like I don't know, yeah, they just know. all kind of sound like shady people. <laughs> I don't know if they're shady. Yeah, who knows? not shady, but just I don't know. Well, no, shady. Shady. That sounds shady to me. <laughs> just gonna stand on uh, shady. Oh um, well, yeah, because like like they get into shady stuff, like heroin's shady. Like they get into you know like yeah, it, they don't feel like uh well they're not the Warren Buffetts of the world. Like maybe that's not even like a good example, but like somebody who's just like very wealthy but doesn't seem to have a lot of scandal around them of like drug use or yeah. you know a nefarious lover or right. I don't know. All these people just feel like a little bit like they've come out of a soap opera. They're, li- they're living riskier lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're not like getting up and. Driving to the bank every day to be a bank teller and then going yeah, home. Yeah, which I understand in this scenario, you need like a lot of money and, to rock purchase and roll this. Roll and more um, decadent lifestyles, perhaps. Decadent, yeah. Do you want to see a uh, uh, pick? Warren Buffett was my go-to. <laughs> All I know about Warren Buffett is that he's rich. I don't even know. He's rich and boring. Rich and boring, but in a nice way. Yeah. A uh, recent pick of the Palacio Dario or Cadario. Cadario? Can you just say Dario? Dario, Darius. Just say Dario. Dar- Dario. Just say Cadario. There you go. Cadario. What did I say? <laughs> Cadario, you're eating your R. Cadario. Hey, kind of. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I don't know what you're hearing. <laughs> um, there it is. And then uh, this next um, picture is old illustration of the Palazzo Dario. It is cool. Mm-hmm. Can you ride your boat into the bottom of it? It almost, right, uh, almost kind of looks like a boathouse. Maybe. I don't know. Like, um, uh, I mean, it's right on the big canal. So yeah. I'm sure you do have like some kind of boat access. Boat access. But yeah. I don't know if you could like step out of the boat and get right into the house. Maybe. I was thinking like how, like on Lake Coeur d'Alene, mm-hmm. there's those, oh, yeah. there's a handful of very nice houses that you could just pull your boat into your boat garage, right. ascent- essentially. Yeah. And then you would be in your house. So cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one is a picture of Monet's painting of Palazzo Dario. Cool, cool. And then uh, this next one is a shitty pixel drawing of Super Mario. <laughs> I'm, I'm fucking, fucking Mario, Mario, okay? I'm a fucking Mario, okay? That's what he says there. <laughs> Every Italian person listening to this. I'm a fucking Mario, okay? They like to go love higher. you. <laughs> yeah, but I'm doing Mario. So yeah. he's, um, uh, yeah, he just, Dario made me think of Mario. And then one more, oh. uh, even shittier drawing of Wario. Uh, literally taking a dump on Super Mario. No, on Luigi. 
There's oh, he did. That's right. He, right, right. He's, yeah, he's literally taking it down on Luigi. <laughs> oh, Ma oh, Mario's down below. Yes, me, you Mario. You know what? I take it a dump on Luigi. I think that you're correct. My, I was distracted by Luigi already being pooped on. He is currently. Oh, he's currently shitting on Mario. You're right. But There's he a already took care of Luigi. He's like, you see what I did to him? Now it's your turn. Yeah, he smashed Luigi and then shit on him, and now he's shitting on Mario. Yes, me, you Mario. I Where shit on a Luigi and a Mario. Where do you find these photos? Um, I, I don't know. I do a lot of weird Googles. <laughs> <laughs> when we were on our uh, family vacation, there was this other family. We were part of this like tour group. And the one dad uh, was a venture capitalist. Mm -hmm. But he was like very vague about what he did. And so Dan and I built his whole backstory about how he was coming to get Dan because of Dan's Google searches. Mm -hmm. He's an NSA agent. Mm -hmm. He's out for you. True. Because of shit like that. <laughs> because of Wario. He, I don't even remember how he talks. I haven't played the game, but in my mind, he's a little. Logan, isn't he a little bit like um deeper like that? Like, it's a me, Wario. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine like you actually getting in trouble with the FBI and they're like, tell us about this photograph. And then you right, do like, that. That's the thing. I've done all this research about serial killers <laughs> and uh, sexual predators and like um, uh, the dark web and stuff over on Time Suck. But Wario. But, but what brings me down is like, like I find out that like in some weird chat room culture, like Wario is code for something. Oh my God, that'd be so some, funny. Some like terrorists uh, group. It's me, Wario. to bring it down to America. It'll bring America to his knees. I love what a weirdo you are. I really do. <laughs> really, really. It's so enjoyable. You silly. Wario to Putin's puppet eyes. Wario. Okay, I'm done now. All? Got it? Yep, got it yep. all out of your system? It's out. It's out. No more? No more. Okay. You got Layla? Yeah. Laylita? What if we start giving all the Laylas Layla names? And we, oh, they could have like little jerseys with their name. Mm. They could all be versions of Layla. Okay. So cute. Layla, doo doo. Darling, won't you please, Layla? Right, Eric Clapton? You feel, yeah, you feel good now? Mm -hmm. All right. Are you ready for some spoopiness? Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Where's your brain? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay, I wasn't sure if you were still, if you were going to sing a little bit more. No, I'm done. Okay. Uh, okay, so last week we talked about dreams, right? Yeah. yeah, we had a couple dream stories. So, ironically, we just have more dreams this week. But, you know, last week we were worried about the old hag coming us to mm -hmm, our sleep. Mm -hmm. That was. That really like the nightmare. I did not care for that. It just felt a little too plausible. I don't know. It was like it was like something that I hadn't really considered in my things to be afraid of catalog. <laughs> so I'm just like adding her in. Yeah. Uh, and then we had like the co-dreaming or like mesh dreaming with, mm -hmm. with the two friends who both saw the hat man on the same night. So, I mean, I love this because this is a little bit different kind of dreaming, okay. uh, premonition dreams. Some good, some bad. Okay. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really know like your stance on dreams as premonitions. What do you think? I don't put a lot of weight into it. Okay. Okay. Just like from what I've come across so far. But again, you know, I'm uh, open-minded with all this stuff now. I mean, who knows? Could be. I, I just haven't come across a, a story. I haven't come across, you know, uh, anybody who like, oh, for sure, mm -hmm. this dream was predicting the future. Okay. There's okay. a lot of interesting like, huh, that's weird. But um, but maybe yeah I don't know more like coincidences you think mm -hmm, I think and you, have you ever had a dream that then not, not a dream that you woke up and you thought like boy that felt very real because that's a yeah, different I've had vivid thing. dreams mm -hmm. yes but have you ever had a dream that you felt like then later something happened you were like oh my god I dreamt that 
No. Okay, me either. Me either. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see what's going on over here with our friend Kelly and her sister. Okay. Hey, guys. I started listening to Scared to Death about a year ago when I randomly discovered the podcast while looking for scary stories to binge on a long car ride. I've been hooked ever since. It's taken me a while to muster up the courage to send the story in because it's long and weird. It makes me question a lot of things like ghosts, psychics, and what you can inherit from your family other than looks. Let's start with the backstory. My beautiful grandmother, Oma, grew up in Germany during the war. She lived through a very rough childhood. Her neighbors were bombed. She never even had a piece of fruit until she was in her late teens. And she only had up to a fifth grade education and had even lost one of her young, one of her siblings at a very young age. She moved to the U.S. with my grandfather, whom she met while he was serving in the army. And during the summer, growing up, she always watched my sister and I while my mom worked, and we all became very close. We loved listening to her talk on the phone to her remaining siblings that still lived overseas in Germany. One morning, while my mom was dropping us off, Oma was telling my mom about a dream she had had. She said she smelled my great aunt's perfume and then saw her in her bedroom, where she kept begging her sister to come with her. In her dream, her sister grabbed her hand and was pulling at her, saying, Heidi, come with me. Hurry, you must come with me. But Oma insisted she would not go, and she wanted to stay where she was. And then she woke up. She told my mom she could still smell her sister's perfume in her room once she awoke. My mom, who really needed to get to work, told her not to worry about it and left for the day. Oma received a phone call later that day, and it was my great aunt's husband telling her her sister had passed away that night. My Oma was devastated. We believed that this was the beginning of her premonition dreams. A couple years later, Oma had another dream that her brother had won the lottery. She <laughs> called him that morning and insisted that he needed to play the lottery. She told my mom about the dream as well. And a couple of days later, Oma's brother called back to tell her he'd <laughs> won approximately $10,000 in the lottery. <laughs> we were all a bit shocked. Oma was quite proud of herself. She had a couple more dreams similar to this. Sadly, though, no more lottery winnings. As my sister and I grew into our teen years, my sister began to have these premonition dreams as well. One morning after I woke up, I headed downstairs and found my mom comforting my sister on the couch, saying that my sister had had a nightmare, but it was nothing to worry about. My mom told us girls to get dressed. We were going to go shopping. That was always my mom's coping mechanism. On our way to the mall, my mom got a phone call from my uncle. My seven-year-old cousin, Emma, was in the hospital. She had three spots of pneumonia on her lungs. My mom was shook up as she hung up the phone, turning to my sister to tell her what had happened. My sister's jaw dropped. I told you something was wrong, mom. I was so confused as to why my sister was so upset. And then she told me, I had a dream last night that Emma came over, but she had three holes in her chest and couldn't breathe. How could my sister have known this? In our later teen years, my mom bought us gift certificates for a local psychic for Christmas one year. She thought it would be so cool to go and see what she had to say. My sister and I were skeptical but curious. My mom assured us that she paid with cash. The woman didn't have our names and knew nothing about us. A couple weeks later, we had our appointment. The psychic would only see us one at a time, and I went first. Before entering, my sister and I both agreed not to give anything about ourselves away. My reading was pretty boring at the time, but now I find very interesting. She knew I would no longer be friends with my long-term high school friend. She even gave me that person's first initial. She knew I was seeing a local bad boy, which not even my mom knew. <laughs> and she told me I would not be with my son's dad, and my son would need a lot of attention from me. 
I didn't know this at the time, but in my 20s, I would get into an abusive relationship, get pregnant, have my son who's autistic, and then leave his father. She knew a lot looking back on it, but as a teenager, I wasn't too thrilled with her reading. Once my reading was over, I went back to our car and my sister went in. It felt like she was in there twice as long as I was. When she finally came out, she was teary-eyed and upset. Mm. She shared quickly and nervously. She knew about my dreams. I, I didn't tell her anything. I swear she just knew. She told me they're extremely important and that they come from our grandmother. She knew that I hadn't had any for a really long time, but she said that they were going to come back soon. We started driving home in complete silence. My sister finally spoke and said, she also told me I would be around a lot of death. What, what did that mean? We had no idea. Now, my sister is a nurse and is almost finished with her schooling to become a nurse practitioner. She worked through the entire pandemic and has seen so, so, so much death. And it all seems to make sense now. My sister won't talk to anyone about her dreams anymore, but my Oma still talks about hers. I still get quite a bit suspicious if I get a call from either of them early in the morning or late at night asking what my son and I are doing. That would yeah, be nerve-wracking, right? Yeah, I, I like the... Um Paying with cash. I know that was really smart. That's a smart detail. I know. So they can't, you know, like have your full name and because Google I, I, and yeah, I was even wondering like pay with cash and then like maybe give them a fake name and then once you're there, reveal the real name mm. if you have to give a name, just so they can't find anything out about you. You could also just like walk into a psychic, like you don't right, have to right, make an appointment. So yeah. if you bring cash, then oh yeah, oh yeah, true. Kind of. But the dream Shortcut. thing, the dream thing that the psychic, I mean, I mean, the first person's reading, that is pretty weird. Yeah, I think. How many things lined up? Yeah, and I think in my experience with psychics, yeah. you know, I definitely think, and this is, I'm not, I'm being delicate here because I don't want to put anybody down if they have this ability. So I'm saying this, like, I'm sure that they've heard this a hundred times, but I'm trying to be kind here. So like, right. some of the things you say could apply to anyone. Right, right, right. And, and that's when it feels like bullshit, right? When yeah. it's like, you will and get do, married, yeah. you will be successful, you will die young. I don't know. It just feels like you could just throw that stuff out there. And but, I absolutely think that some people who claim to be psychics mm -hmm. are completely full of shit. Completely they're, full of shit. They're con artists. 100%. Yeah. And it's a bummer because if this is, in fact, a real ability that people yeah. can have, What? A, how much does that suck to go through life being able to do this, but not feeling comfortable accessing that ability because you think people are just going to be like, okay. Right, are going to assume that you're trying to be a con artist. Yeah. 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 So there's that. Uh, but I mean, I've had some very accurate readings. Yeah. That also, like this person is saying in the beginning, I was kind of like, eh. But then as time would go on, it's like, oh, okay. Somewhere I have recordings. Huh. Because you can you can never remember it all when you're in there. It's like too much, and you don't want to be taking notes. But you be do distracted. have a, uh, an audio recording, huh? Yeah, I'd have to really dig it up, but I know it's there somewhere. I would I would love to go back and listen to your audio recording, and it's like like at some point, and you know, you're gonna find this great guy who's gonna be so good at the warrior impression. He's going to nail it. That's exactly what she said. <laughs> yeah, I remember it clearly now. Now that you bring it up. And she probably did the voice too. She did. She did. Not as good as you. And, course, and, yeah. and, and she did say like, this is just a small sample. Right. I'm not quite going to get it right, but he is going to nail it. He's it going, will be perfect. He's going to nail the warrior impression. Okay. I love you. You are really something special. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean that. It's good. <laughs> okay. It's good. You really keeps it interesting. All right, um, but yeah. Okay. And and then like, you know, so about her sister. 
Yeah. I mean, you could say that about anybody. Like, you're going to be around a lot of death. But I don't know. This just feels uniquely lined up. Like, she becomes a nurse. Of course. I mean, I shouldn't say of course, because not all nurses are around death. But, you know, I mean, the pandemic. I mean, good ones aren't. Right? Come on. If you're good at it, then you keep people alive. I think that's pretty cruel. I mean, ridiculous. Can you imagine if that's like the barometer? People, <laughs> people actually thought that. This like, one... I've been a lot of death. Well, I guess you're not that good at uh, nursing then, because I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I, I never went to school for it. Pretty sure you're supposed to keep alive. Uh, <laughs> Somebody takes that clip. Oh, my God. <laughs> takes that out of kind of, Dan Cummins, monster, hates nurses. But then you go on to talk about like how nurses are all like female and that's why you hate them. Oh, and like doctors God. are male and they keep people alive. And you make it into this whole crazy thing. Yeah, that that would be that would look that'd be bad. That'd be a bad look for you. Yeah, for anybody, <laughs> hopefully. Well, yeah, but I think like some like there are certainly plenty of nurses that probably are never around death. Because yeah, I, mean, I guess like if I don't know, yeah, if you're a nurse that works at like a general a primary care physician's clinic. I mean, it's not to say that like somebody hasn't died in our doctor's office, right? But, it would, but it would that's seem generally so unlikely. Not, yeah, because if you're just going there for checkups, mm-hmm. that's yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Pediatrician nurses, pediatric nurses, uh, yeah, like in office, mm-hmm. in office, yeah, exactly. Whew. Yeah, thank God that there are people uh, emotionally equipped to be able to do that job because that freaks me out mm-hmm. to think about having to do that. Being a nurse or being no, a pediatric no, just, nurse. No, he's being around a lot of death. Oh. Huh. It doesn't bother me. I know. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. I, I have a different relationship with death than you have. Mm-hmm. Or a different feeling about it. Yeah. I think when you are around a lot of death when you're younger. You become a witch. <laughs> I love it when I hear Logan. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, do you have anything else you want to say about dreams, premonitions, psychics? No. No, I like that story. Yeah, it was cool, huh? Mm-hmm, it was. Yeah. All right. I've got one more. And this is the one that you really was really f- freaky. Yeah. Really freaky. Was your brain somewhere else? I saw you kind of following a train of thought. No, I was just trying uh. to think of how you described the first the story earlier. But I, I remember you uh, singling this next story out. Yeah. For being especially like cabin, isolated, like mm-hmm. extra scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like coming back from our trip and having been in isolated places, mm-hmm. I know that you and I talked a lot about, as all people I think do, like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool if we could do this or we could do that? And one thing that we have both talked about is like, you know, kids are in college and we can podcast remotely. So like, let's live in the middle of nowhere and pursue our other creative interests. Both of us want to write a book. So like, how cool would that be? It's exciting. It's a fun fantasy to think about. Yeah. And so this story really played into that. I mean, this Mm -hmm. you'll hear it momentarily, uh, you know, about this guy being alone in this space. Yeah. But then it's before I tell his story, it's like, I started thinking about, okay, if we lived in this cabin all alone, just you and I dogs too, middle of nowhere, and you decided that you were going to go into town for a night or something, and I'm all alone. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen to me mm. in a cabin by myself? And I, I mean, I came up with some very awful scenarios oh, sure. of being really, really scared. Not even like uh, scared of an actual other person. Right. Not true crime scared, paranormal scared. Yeah. It could be rough. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. What would be the worst thing that could happen to you? Paranormal scared, not true crime scared. Pa- paranormal scared. Okay. Because t- for me, like the tr- I, I am, I have true crime fresh in the brain from a time suck serial killer recording earlier today. So, like true crime wise, the worst. If I have to pick paranormal or true crime, I pick paranormal 100%. for sure. Uh, but par- but paranormal worst thing. Okay, I'm by myself. Hmm. I, I mean, Bill. I don't know. Being taunted. I, now, for some mm. reason, my brain immediately immediately went to like shadowy figures moving outside the windows. You know, like that where I feel like I can't leave. Perfect. 
But then taking that further, I mean, uh, like what I like, I mean, from the outside of like a horror movie, but what I would not want to happen to me is kind of ratcheting up the tension and the scares. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it starts off with like something around the cabin, but then eventually something is inside the cabin with you. Mm. And then uh, a feeling of like not being safe inside or outside where it's like something's in there with you, but you don't want to run because there's maybe something outside there Uh too. And at least Uh you have the security of the cabin. And if it's cold... That makes you feel so much, ex- so, so much more trapped. Mm-hmm. Where like uh, that feeling of like, oh my god, if I if I just flee in terror from this remote cabin, am I going to just die in the elements? So I don't want to do that. So I have to just face this thing, mm-hmm. and not having any way to like call that would add to the fear. If you're right. like te- uh, technology wise isolated, maybe there's no cell phone reception or something right. like that. And you're just waiting for me to come back. Like, please come back. Please come back. Yeah. She's at Target, her monthly Target run. Where is she? <laughs> I'm not back for eight hours. I love this remote. Okay, there we go. Yeah, eight hours. I was I was picturing this remote cabin, but like 45 minutes away, there's a, uh, like a super Target. <laughs> Whenever I think like remote, I just think about like where your mom lives or where you grew yeah, up. And yeah. then I think like, okay, how far is a Target from there? And it's Couple all, hours. The, all the way to Boise. Oh, yeah. They don't have one in Lewiston? I can't remember if they do Sure don't. Oh, all right. There you go. If they do, I've been missing it. Yeah. There's a Walmart there. Right. But yeah, I think you're right. Not a Target. I think you got to go all the way to Boise. <laughs> yeah. It's like a three and a half hour drive, four hour drive. Like, yeah. Four From my mom's. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you for sharing your deepest, darkest fears about living alone in a cabin. <laughs> let's, let's check out what's happening with our friend Brian. Okay. Greetings. I found your podcast by chance a few months ago. I finally finished listening to the back catalog and figured you and your listeners might get a kick out of this story about the scariest night of my whole life. I live in a small ski town in the West Elk Mountains of Colorado. It's a beautiful place full of fascinating characters and wonderfully gregarious shitheads. (laughs) I moved here in 2012 because of its proximity to my family's property just 45 minutes away. In the fall of 2018, after a relationship that ended terribly, I fell into a depression fueled by drugs, alcohol, women, and self-loathing. It was a rough, rough time. I won't get into all of the details here, but suffice to say that all of the fun I was having turned pretty dark after a couple of months. I needed an out, and I needed it fast. After realizing that I needed to extricate myself from the situation of a For a bout of self-rehab, I decided to take my pup and move to the cabin for the winter, one of the best decisions I've made for myself by far. The cabin sits on a few acres of wooded hillside in a historic ghost town. There are two cabins on the property. The lower cabin was built in the 1920s, while the one up the hill was built by my grandparents in the early 80s. It served as a summer getaway for my grandparents for most of my life, though since my grandpa passed away six years before all of this, my grandma has had no desire to spend any time there. In the summer, the town may have up to 50 residents, but that winter, there were only two of us. Myself and an 85-year-old man on oxygen who never left his cabin about a half a mile down the road. Also, I had my red healer pup, Rascal. Nobody in my family has ever spent a winter there since the water relies on spring lines and in the water and in the winter they freeze solid. As such, I had to collect my water from a nearby stream and boil it before cooking, cleaning, or drinking. You don't know what a pain in the ass it is to have to hike <laughs> a quarter mile in knee-deep snow to fill two six-gallon jugs and then carry them all the way back uphill both ways unless you've done it. And if you have high fucking five, brother. I packed up everything, and I left for the cabin on a sunny September morning. 
The first couple of months were spent splitting firewood, running in the running around the mountains with my pup, and just enjoying the absolute solitude. No phone, no internet, no worries. I spent the evenings watching the sunset with a glass of whiskey on a rickety old rocking chair on the raised deck of the cabin. I cannot express how much I enjoyed every second of this experience. The snow started to fall around the middle of October, and by the time November hit, there was a solid 18 inches of snow blanketing the mountains. I started to realize just what I was getting myself into by around the 1st of December when the snow hadn't stopped falling in almost two weeks. Not in a bad way, I was just bracing myself for the lonely times ahead. It was one of those snowy afternoons in early December that this story really begins. That particular evening, I hiked to the stream where I had been collecting my water and filled the two six-gallon jugs. I set them on the hiking path and threw some snowballs for my pup to drain the last of his energy before nightfall. I had lost track of time, and before I knew it, it was nearly dark. I called Rascal to follow, and he did for a time, but then began growling into the woods off to the side of the trail. I know those woods better than most, and I'm well aware that there are predators around, but... I'm a big enough guy, and I had my dog with me, so I kept moving forward. Rascal eventually gave up on whatever was out there, and we made it back home in the pitch black, save the porch light. If it had been snowing softly most of the afternoon, and I was looking forward to that glass of whiskey after a long day of work. I got to, dr- I got to work boiling water and poured myself that well-deserved drink. Rascal was asleep on the bed in under an hour, and I wasn't far behind him. I laid around for a while reading and eventually dozed off with the light on while watching the snow uh, watching the snow and wind ramp up besides the window. I awoke in total confusion to a symphony of baffling sounds. It took me a second to get my bearings. My dog was losing his fucking mind at the window beside me. The wind had picked up and the snow fell fast and heavy. There was a strange tink 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 noise coming from the kitchen area, and the wood steps outside groaned as if someone were walking off that bottom step. When I gathered my wits enough to realize something was going on, I jolted upright and turned to look out the front window towards the stairs, and in that moment I could have sworn I saw a dark figure step just out of the range of the porch light and slide behind a tree, casual as could be. My pup was just around a year old and is the friendliest dog you could ever meet, but I couldn't get him to calm down, not even a little. Every hair on his back stood on end as he snarled and gnashed his teeth at the window while following something with his eyes that I just couldn't see. It was unnerving, to say the very least. I jumped up and I ran over to grab the 12-gauge, but on the way something caught my attention. In the kitchen, on the bottom of a cabinet near the sink, my grandpa had placed these little hooks to hang a series of coffee mugs. There were probably seven or eight on the hooks at the time, but while they all hung there motionless, One swung wildly and was hitting the other mugs hanging on either side of it. I stood there and stared for a long moment, ignoring my dog's snarls and snaps, just watching as this mug continued to knock into the neighboring mugs. Tink, tink, tink. Tink, tink, tink. Every hair on my body stood erect as I turned to grab the shotgun, and I felt like I must be dreaming as I loaded the cartridge and snapped it shut. I was breathing heavily and took slow deliberate steps towards the front door while trying to calm rascal but it was no use i stopped and i looked out into the storm through the glass of the front door but it was snowing so hard that i couldn't see anything more than 10 yards past the porch in the blizzard i took a series of shuddering breaths raised my hand to the knob but as i twisted the handle and pulled the door open there was an enormous crash at the back side of the cabin and the lights faltered for just an instant rascal 
He fell immediately silent, jumped off the bed, and hid behind my legs, visibly shaking. I must have been shaking furiously at that point too, but I had to know what the fuck was happening outside, so I swallowed hard and stepped out into the cold. I grabbed the spotlight that I kept on the porch and I clicked it on. I yelled into the storm that I had a gun and if anyone was messing mm-hmm. me, they better leave. There was no response as the blustering, icy winds swept my words of warning away into the depths of the night. When I was satisfied that there was nobody out front, I decided that whatever crash was out back could wait until the morning. I put on some music, and I pet Rascal until he eventually fell asleep. For a little bit, at least. When I finally began to relax, assuming all the previous excitement was just a combination of sleeplessness and overreaction, something happened that chills me to think about. Rascal snapped upright from a dead sleep and let out a slow, low growl, apparently watching something across the living room from me. The goosebumps I had at that moment were legendary. Rascal stood up and lowered his head, still growling at whatever he was sensing, and then... I couldn't place the sound at first, but when it clicked, I lost my shit. When I was a kid and my grandparents were staying at the top cabin, the rest of the family would sleep in the lower cabin when visiting. Instead of yelling down the hill when it was dinner time, my grandpa installed an intercom system between the two cabins. Mm. And that's exactly what that noise was. But there were a few problems with this. First, the power to the lower cabin was cut for the winter. Second, all windows and doors to the lower cabin were securely padlocked. And last, but certainly not fucking least, the intercom hadn't worked in at least two years. None of this crossed my mind in that moment, though. Beep, beep, beep. I could hardly stand up to walk over to the small intercom button, but eventually stumbled over to it and without thinking I held the talk button and basically screamed that if anyone was at that bottom cabin screwing with me they'd better be gone before sunrise I stood back and waited only a moment before I heard the sound of someone keying the talk button at the other end they just held it and didn't say a word I tore the plug out of the goddamn wall turned every light in the cabin on and sat in the middle of the living room with a bottle of whiskey and a shotgun while blasting old Led Zeppelin vinyls until the darkness turned to a dull gray and the snow subsided and that was the scariest night of my life I looked for fresh footprints in the snow but found none I still have no explanation for the crash at the back of the porch I went to the lower cabin shotgun in hand and was still shocked that the power was off The property is snow-locked from October to April, so I checked the main road for sled tracks. It's a 10-mile sled ride with only one way in and one way out. I saw nothing. I lived at that cabin from September to April. Odd things happened every now and then all winter, but nothing as intense or as scary as that night. And when I recapped the story to my family, my grandma got stuck on just one detail. She laughed and told me that I had handled it better than she would have, but she wanted to know which coffee mug it had been that was swinging on the hook. When I told her it was a New York Jets coffee mug, she went ghost white. She'd bought that mug for my grandpa on a trip to New York, and he had used it every day when he was at the cabin in the summer. Maybe, just maybe, it was him checking on me, saying hello. That's a great story. The it's a way, great story. The way uh, they wrote it is great. No, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It evokes so much emotion. Yeah. Man, though, that setting. I mean, that is remote, remote, remote. To be snowed in like that, to be locked in. I mean, a place with that is so just kind of raw and rugged that you, there's, you have to like, what, half a mile? I can't remember exactly what he said, to go get the water for the from the creek to then yeah. boil it. 
Um, and yeah, like there's no way to contact anyone. Just that, and then that intercom system was an interesting detail. Uh huh. And to have like that thing start making noises when there's no one, like the other place is completely snowed in and no mm -hmm. tracks. Mm -hmm. That's a um, cool detail from that story too. That you wouldn't be able to confirm that in a way if there wasn't all that snow. But it's, mm -hmm. it's so different to like look for tracks in the dirt, like especially like lawn. Right. Like if there's lawn, good luck. Like right. unless you're some kind of expert. And the uh, way military the trained go. <laughs> tracker, like, and, and then how would you be able to differentiate how fresh it was? I mean, it'd be so, like, I would imagine just forget about it. Forget about it. Snow and mud, those mm -hmm. are your basically, and even right. mud is a little. And mud is, uh, is tricky, but like snow, deep snow, it leaves no doubt. Mm -hmm. Like there is huge footprints sinking down into the snow or there isn't. Correct. Uh, and, and like in that sled trail, the way he described it, mm -hmm. I mean, that's not a subtle trail. It's not, no. like, it's not like you're looking for little fox tracks. Right. I mean, you're looking for big sled tracks that are going to go through. That's going to be very obvious. And to not have any of that. So there was definitely no person around either cabin. And to hear the crash and the, and the spinning of the mugs. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really creepy. It's really creepy, but I really do. Scary. I did really hold on to hope that it was his the grandfather. Grandpa. Yeah, yeah, with the jets detail. Uh huh. Especially knowing that, like the the grandmother hadn't wanted to go back since her mm -hmm. spouse had passed away, and yeah. you know, it's like maybe, and, and because it was the jets mug swinging, right. it's like maybe he just wanted everyone to know he was okay. I mean, it actually made me misty eyed when yeah. I got to the end. I thought, like, how sweet is that? That he was mm -hmm. like, "Hey guys, yeah, just, I'm here." Here, the, yeah. probably his Say favorite hi. place. It's you know, there's yeah. I'm sure loads of memories at those cabins. <sighs> but yeah, that thing of like, um, if you've ever lived in an apartment with an intercom, uh, when somebody presses the talk button and it's just static, it is such an unnerving feeling. If that happens at like two in the morning, Oof, yeah, because because it could be some drunken idiot in your building. Just right. trying to get home, can't do it. Can right. be a booty call for somebody else. Like, <laughs> right, 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 right. Could be, I mean, at this point, it could be Uber Eats or whatever. <laughs> but when it's just that sound of like, just nothing, yeah. just empty air. Yeah. Uh uh. Yeah. Uh uh, because somebody has to push the button. <laughs> so creepy. Uh, do you uh do you want to share your Annabelle thank yous first or me? I can go first. Okay. Break it up a little bit. Thank you to the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Sarah B, Jennifer Hassan, Nooney Jr., Christopher Bam Bam, <laughs> Victor Garcia, Nathan, Pamela Goodson, Nikki Tickler. That I mean, if I if that is your full <laughs> name, if that is your name, I'm sure you have heard it. Every joke. Ms. Tickler. Oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tickler, party of one. Oh, boy. Casey Allen. Uh, Alex Kolb Munger. Louisa O'Connor. Jamie Roy. Marco, Marco Ocho. The Prince of the Fateful Eternal Wind. That's a lot of name. Kyler Blakenship. Marissa Juskovich. Samantha Hurst. Ashley Milershowski. Erica Ingram. Hayden Kidder, Samantha Spaulding, Brandy Gunzel, Star, Hunter McGee, Tina, and Anna Marie Leffler. Hunter McGee. Oh, I was thinking of a different one. I was thinking of Courtney. I was thinking of a different like uh, fan with a McGee name. Oh. Because McGee, just because I've uh, referenced, used it as a joke last name so much too, mm -hmm. I was, was like, is that a real McGee? What were you thinking of like Bobby McGee? Oh, it could be Bobby McGee. Um, I was thinking Scoots. Scoots McGee. Oh, Scoots. Um, one of the names here, I'll get to it, was cracking me up. Uh, I want to thank uh, the following Annabelles as well for supporting us on Patreon. Laurel Strazenak, Stacey Brown, 
Cindy Riley, Jasmine Motes, Kalisha Ross, Dave Presho, Nancy Austin, Coral Hool, Cassie Rory, Brittany Morgera, Gerardo Roman Jr., Sydney Marlar, H.G. Taskvig, XG, uh, Josh ha- Hawkins, Grayson Hopner, Robert Buck, Wendy Cass, uh, Randy Cassone, uh, Lindsley. <laughs> this is the one that's just so ridiculous. Wiener Butt McStupid Fly. <laughs> Clearly a birth name. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> Rebecca Montez, David Hill, uh, E.J. Weirich, James Burke, Myra Menezes, and Andrew Mendoza. Nice. So thank you. And then I have the following uh, spoopy shout outs. This is pretty cute. Clearly a crossover fan. To my avid fisherman of a husband, tight burrito from <laughs> Floppy Pancake. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> happy anniversary. Fun. To Jennifer from your daughter, Scramalama Ding Dong. Happy birthday. To BJ from Nikki, stay safe. I love you and I've got your six. To Court. Uh-huh. Yeah. To Corey from Melissa. Happy birthday and happy anniversary. I love you. To my little larva from G, you are in my heart and mind every day. I'll never stop fighting for us. And to Jeff from Ivy and Hunter, happy 30th birthday. Uh, and that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else, info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith for his work on social media. Uh, and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to producer Sophie Evans for finding today's first story again and to Olivia Lee for finding the second. Uh, thanks to Logan Keats for producing, directing today, Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation, Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, uh, to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listener stories, well, now for book number four. And thanks to Wario for having such a cool voice. Ah. Enjoy your nightmares, Kips and Beavers. Hope you were scared to death. <laughs> Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but have no home here within scared to death. Bad Magic Productions. 